All right, I got one announcement, one announcement for you. Uh, on April 17th is our next baptisms. Uh, you are all invited to come. You don't all have to get baptized, but you're all invited to the party. Uh, if you would like to get baptized, you can sign up in the back. We've got a class next Sunday morning after every service. And uh, we, we, have you, we help you write a little your story so when you're in the pool, you don't have to tell your story. You just kind of go in, you get baptized. It's a, it's a great big party. We all eat together and hang out together. There's about, usually about 250 people that come. Uh, this is what's happening. Usually in the fall when we do these, we do like tri-tip and bread as our meal. Uh, then in the, in the spring, we do either like soup. Or th- so we had a nacho bar a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, nacho bar. But it was awesome. Everybody loved the nacho bar. So we're going to do the nacho bar again. So the way that works is if your last name is A through L, you're supposed to bring some type of meat to put on the nachos for people. Like I go down to El Toro and I buy some carne asada because it's awesome. So you all should go to El Toro and buy carne asada. <laughs> no, so A through L, you're bringing a meat topping of some sort. It would be awesome if you did, but anyway. Uh, M through R, you're bringing a dessert, so that means you're bringing some cookies and then something to share. Okay, and then if you're S through Z, you're bringing beans and salsa to go on top. Yeah, you get the stinky dishes, right? Woo! What? I brought the beans and salsa. Yeah, that's... Okay, anyway, so that's how that works. Uh, you are all invited to come. We'd love to see you all there. If you are newer to Element, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you get some notes that go a little deeper into what we're talking about. Uh, right now, at Element, we're currently going through the book of Acts, but we usually use something different on Easter, so we are doing something different. So you get notes that go along as well as some questions that go a little bit deeper. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Uh, if you have Uversion, hopefully you've updated in the last week and a half, uh, because there used to be a thing in Uversion that said live. Now it actually says events. And if you click on events, we'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes and verses and questions and announcements and all that goes along with today's message. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me, read into God's word, and we will get started. This is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, and it says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to understand how you made us. And that we would understand that in one sense we keep our soul, but you are the ultimate keeper of our souls. And that we would surrender our lives completely and fully to you and live out our lives in ways that fully honor you. We ask that you would teach us what it means to live full, integrated lives, knowing who you are and knowing the calling that you have placed within us. Amen. Have a seat. So... Again, if you've, if you've ever been here for Easter services, it's always something a little different, and so you're probably wondering what we're going to talk about today, and like I said, we are talking about the soul. I had a million ideas swirling in my head about how to do this. Early last year, I read this book called Soul Keeping by a guy named John Ortberg. Uh, I appreciate his writing style. I don't always agree with all of his theology that's in it. Uh, I gave it to one of our other elders, Mike, uh, the guy who was doing announcements earlier, and he read it, and he loved it because he loves that deep, soul-searching, emotional stuff. Me, not so much, you know, but he loved it, so we kind of talked about it, and so what I'm going to do is I'm basically going to kind of condense that book into one message uh, for today, with also some other stuff in there as well, and hopefully we'll do this in a way that you will better understand by the end of today how God made you, but also move you to a place where you surrender all that you are to Him as you understand the hope that resurrection brings. So, easy task, but hey, it's Easter, 
Right? We're going for it. I, a lot of people, they show up to church and like, oh, at church, I'm supposed to think about life after death. No, you're not. You're supposed to think about what life is meant to be right now, today. Uh, Dallas Willard writes this. He says, your eternal destiny is not cosmic retirement. It is meant to be part of a tremendously creative project and an imaginative splendid leadership on an inconceivably vast scale with ever-increasing cycles of fruitfulness and enjoyment. And that's supposed to start today. It's not meant to be after you die. Eternal life starts the day you believe and follow Jesus, and that's what's supposed to take place. So how does the understanding of the nature of Jesus and our soul relate to all this now today? I am so glad you asked me that question. Because that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, the nature of souls and who keeps them has always been fascinating to mankind. Soul is one of the most important words in the Bible and in human literature all over the world. We have a native understanding of what the soul is. But if I asked you to, to define the soul and what it is, you'd probably look at me like I look at my wife when she tries to tell me why I can't end a sentence with a preposition. She, she taught English for 15 years and she's always, and I never get it. I can't go of Period. That's, I, I don't know why I can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. Ortberg quotes Supreme Court Associate Justice Potter Stewart's description of obscenity and how we define the soul. He says, it may be harder to find, but I'll know it when I see it. Whatever. Almost everyone throughout all ages have believed in souls. Even atheists believe in souls to one sense or another. I mean, they wouldn't call it that, but in one sense they believe that. Like when somebody dies, we say things like, God rest his yeah, that's, that's what we say. I mean, that does sound a little bit scary. We teach little kids this little rhyme when they're little. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die. That's scary, right? If I die, just pray it with me. You'll be fine. If I die before I awake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. See, when that was written, there was a time it's different than our world today when people wanted kids to know that the earth is fallen, the earth is broken, that death is undesirable, but it's inevitable, and our human lives hang by a slender thread, that we have a soul and not just a body, and God's the kind of person that can be entrusted with our eternal destiny. But what is a soul? Well, Aretha Franklin is called the queen of soul. Is that what it is? W.E.B. Du Bois titled his book about the oppression of a race, the souls of black folk. Uh, soul food is the name given to food that began with slaves cooking whatever they could find to live on. I mean, we talk about the soul as a source of strength. TV shows have people selling their souls to gain something else. I mean, can you sell a soul? In the show The Simpsons, Homer Simpson sells his soul for a donut. And then he eats all of it but one bite, puts it in the fridge, and says, Stop, don't eat, daddy's soul donut. Keep away. Uh, sometimes on eBay, you can search and people are actually selling their souls on eBay. And Harry Potter, see, oh, now you all just like tuned in, right? Oh, connects now. Uh, the evil Lord Voldemort, what he does is he, is he tears his soul into various pieces by murdering people. And he puts these into these things called horcruxes. And I know what all of that means because I'm a geek. All right? uh, Plato didn't call it a soul. He called it a psyche, but it's kind of the same thing. And he believed that souls were reincarnated into babies. And if you were wise in a past life, you came back as a king or very athletic. But if you were a coward, you came back as a woman or a donkey. <laughs> Sounds like he's the donkey, right? Nicest way I can say that. The car, the car company Kia sold 150,000 souls in 2015. <laughs> right? Yale psychiatrist Jeff Boyd says most Christians have a Looney Tune theology when it comes to souls, like Daffy Duck or Wiley Cody. They, they run off a, a cliff or they get smacked on the head with an anvil, and then this translucent image floats up with wings and they're playing a harp, and that's kind of our view of what it looks like. 
uh, eyes are called the windows of the soul. There have been studies that have been done. I'll show you what they did. So here's a picture. This is actually the same girl on the left and the right, same picture. Uh, here's another one. Same picture, left and right. But what they did is one of them has larger pupils. And so what they did is they asked people, which one is more attractive, which one feels more engaged, which one is more honest? 95% of people said it's the one with the larger pupils because their soul was on display. They have larger windows, so to speak. 500 years ago, women in Italy used extract from belladonna to dilate their pupils. Belladonna means beautiful lady. You know, when we find that perfect person for our life, we call them our soulmate. Churches love to talk about souls, even if we're afraid to define you know, what that actually means. We sing songs like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. When, how does our soul make God happy? What does that look like? We have an international sign for distress that's called SOS, and it doesn't mean help. You know what it means? Save our souls. Save our souls. When people go down a wrong path, we call them lost souls. How is a soul saved, or how is a soul lost? Douglas Copeland once wrote, I don't deserve a soul, yet I still have one. I know because it hurts. So, so what is a soul? Well, throughout church history, we've tried to typically break this into two views. One is called trichotomy, and one is called dichotomy. Trichotomy means three. It means that man lives in a body, is a spirit, and has a soul. This is why we say things like body, soul, and spirit. Dichotomy means two. Man has a physical body, and the soul and the spirit are used interchangeably for the same thing. And don't worry, we're not going to spend any time talking about that. That's reserved for people who have been overeducated and like to argue about things that make no sense anyway. Okay? <laughs> I think the most profound writers I have read think it's all hogwash and point out that the scriptures teach that man is one being. Louis Burkhoff, great Reformed theologian, said that throughout the scriptures, every act of man is seen as an act of the whole man. It is not the soul, but man that sins. It is not the body, but man that dies. It is not merely the soul, but man, body, and soul that is redeemed in Christ. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The word creature is the word nefesh. It means soul. In order for man to live and thrive, we're to be one being. But in that one being, we have our inner life, and we have our outer life. The outer life, that is the, the public, the visible you. It's what others see when they look at you. People, and most people would define that as you. Then you have the inner life, which is invisible. It's kind of easy to neglect, but it's what really drives you on the outside. And, and we have this crazy view that if we could just get everything together and our outer life looked perfect and feels perfect, well, then everything should line up. Like if we had the job we want and the relationship that we want and the house we want and the car we want and the belly and the butt and the boobs that we want. You know, it, it would just all be perfect and our inner life should be happy because we have everything, but it almost never happens because we are one being and these two things must come together. See, I think that we like talking about trichotomy or dichotomy because if we can separate ourselves into three different things, we don't have to live as one being. But the scripture teaches us that we are one being. We are one living soul. And if we believe that, then everything changes. Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. Again, Genesis 2, 7, when it says man became a living creature, those are the words chain afesh, and it means a living soul. So I'll show you something from Psalm chapter 23 about this. This is the funeral psalm, though it's really not a funeral psalm, but we read it at funerals all the time. Psalm chapter 23, starting in verse 1, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, still waters are these words, manuha me'im, and this means peace and, and stillness and harmony. Some many commentaries will say that they believe on the seventh day that God created manuha me'im, this stillness, because it's 
it's a thing that had to be created because we enter into it. So God makes this thing. He leaves me beside still, harmonious, serene waters. So if I took this cup of water, okay? You can't drink it. I got it out of the toilet. See if you're paying attention, right? So imagine, imagine this is meant to be your life. Usually our lives are more like a coffee cup that's like thick on the outside and you can't really see what's inside. But our lives are kind of meant to be like this. You can see all the way through it we're one being, one whole person. And imagine this is like the state of our soul. And the psalm writer says too many of us run around and we're like this. We want people to think that we're like this. But we run around and we're just... Kind of... That's why I'm wearing short sleeves, by the way. <laughs> hey, be happy. A couple years ago I threw this on you, okay? So... But we're running around, and we're like this. <laughs> and we're like this all the time, all the time. And what God wants to do is restore us to clarity, to clarity. We, we act on the outside with God all together, but really on the inside, all the time, we're just these shaky waters. Just... <laughs> and yet God wants to take and restore us to that. God wants to restore us to peace and stillness and harmony, how the waters were meant to be. Now, this, this has spiritual significance because when the writer writes this, he's writing as a shepherd. And when you're out in the middle of nowhere, the ground is really hard. So if you get a rain, either you'll get the water evaporates quickly or you get like a turbulent flood. Like over when this was written, you could get rain on a mountain 10 miles away. And the ground is so hard, the water would rush down, and you would get a turbulent flood where you were. And so either you had turbulent waters or no water. But if you found the serene and harmonious and still water, that's a great blessing. And it brings it into spiritual significance. Now, now the word for restore, it's this word called shuv, and it means to refresh. It's a very common word in Hebrew. Like the word for repent is an evil, wicked, vile sinner. The word for repent is teshuva, and it means to return, to be restored. Repent means to return home to God, return home to who he meant for you to be. It is found 71 times in the book of Psalms. Repentance is like returning home to God. Now, as I said, the word for soul is the word nefesh. In its most ancient roots, it meant to breathe. And so your soul is this thing that breathes. It is alive. It means that God refreshes your soul. God restores your life. God shoes you to where your nefesh was meant to be. And when people say, what did you learn about in Easter service? Say, God shoes my nefesh. And they'll be like, what? And you go, I don't know. Listen to the podcast. I don't get it either. Right? It means that God revives our humanity. God returns us to who we we're meant to be. You were meant to be one whole person, one whole soul. Dallas Willard writes this, Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and His kingdom. And all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. So I'll ask you again, what is a soul? You are. I am. We are souls made by God. We are made for God, made to need God, which, is mean, which means that we are not self-sufficient. Dallas Willard says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. The soul is the life center of a human being. And so I kind of want to walk through this with you just a little bit. If I lose you or confuse you, talk to me or one of the other elders and we'll help you know, walk you through this a little bit. But I think it's important for us to understand a little bit what our souls are like. Because if we're going to care for our soul and understand it a little bit, we've got to understand it to an extent. Like if you have a car. Right, you, you, you understand you've got to change the tires and change the oil and put gas in it or it doesn't run right. When your car runs right, almost nobody notices that it runs right. When it runs bad, everybody notices. Right? It's billowing black smoke everywhere. It's people, ah! 
I, why, you know, I'm going to call that smog number on that guy. You know, it's, it's horrible. But the same thing happens to our souls. When our souls are living as they should be, almost nobody notices. It's when they're bad and we're toxic and everybody sees it. We're like, what is wrong? Everybody knows there's something wrong except maybe the guy whose soul is all kind of jacked up. So I'm going I'm to explain to you a soul, kind of concentric circles. I stole this out of the book, but I kind of changed it a little bit. And this is kind of what we looks like, our souls. You have your will. Okay? And your will is your capacity to choose. This is where you say yes or no. This makes you people and not things. It's like what we use when God says in Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion and subdue. These are words we translate like a stewardship and responsibility. The will is how we exercise that responsibility. Now, why can't we simply tell our will, just do what God says, will? Because our will is limited. It's often why we find ourselves doing things against our better judgment. Like, oh, I went to Easter services, and then I went and had brunch, and I ate 20 cream-covered waffles, and had 15 mimosas, and I woke up with a hangover and threw up all my waffles. <laughs> it can happen. The, the will makes, like, simple decisions or, like, large commitments. Like, will you marry me? That's a decision of the will, but being married is something deeper and further. Uh, the will is terrible at overriding habits and patterns that are rooted in us. The Bible calls this our flesh. So outside of that, what you have is your mind. This is like your conscious thoughts and your feelings, that these things that go through you all the time, usually coming out in your habits or your patterns. Like when you think things like maybe you're unworthy or you're crazy, that comes from there. When you think you know better than everybody else, it comes from there. When you entertain desires that are different than God's desires for your calling for your life, it comes from there. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Outside of that, you have your body. And your body is like your kingdom. Your body is really the only place where you get to have a real chance to be in charge. You may think you're in charge of other places, but you're not. In the book Soul Keeping, it says our bodies are like our little power packs. It'd be impossible to have a mind and a will without a body to carry certain things out. And our bodies are filled with habits as well. But our mind and our wills outsource things like drive the car, tie your shoelace, shake the cup of water, breathe, you know, the, those, those kind of things. And your body is pretty cool, but you're more than a body. And outside of this, you have this thing called your soul. And what is the soul? The soul is all of this. The soul is us. And the soul is meant to integrate our entire lives into a single being. And I'm oversimplifying this. I really am. But this is what it is. And we don't, again, really notice when we're not all put together until our lives are kind of out of whack and messed up. The soul is what integrates us together. This is the why, the why the word integrity is such a meaningful word. The soul wants to be an integrated whole. It seeks to be connected to others and creation, and most essentially the God who made us. We are, our soul wants to be rooted in Jesus like a tree is rooted by a stream. And this is why we talk about the soul and people as being one whole person. Orberg writes this, he says, your soul is what integrates your will, so that's your intentions, your mind, that's your thoughts and your feelings and your values and your conscience, your body, that's your body language and your face and your actions, into a single life. And we were meant to have a healthy soul that is well-ordered, where we're connected to Jesus first and then others and God's creation. But the problem comes is that most of us have a disintegrated soul, one that is not well-ordered, one that is not Jesus, others, and everything else. Too many people today, even in churches, walk around with unhealthy souls. You really have to ask, how integrated is your life with the one who gives and brings life? And it happens to everybody all the time. It's what sin does in our life. It disintegrates us. It moves us off the mark that we should have been aiming at. I'll, ju- I'll give you a couple, okay? This is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is one of the most widely attended church services of the entire year. Not for element. We're like a Christmas Eve 
Our Christmas Eve is like the most widely attended. Woohoo, Christmas Eve! I said that last night, and they're all, yeah! Like the, like the Muppets gallery. They're like, <laughs> But we are. We're, we're really more of a Christmas Eve service. But hey, it's Easter, and you guys are here, so sorry. I'm not discounting you at all. But what happens a lot is that on Easter services, if attendance goes down, or it's not packed out, or something like that, a lot of pastors start to worry about that. And they start to think, oh my goodness, what, what am I doing wrong? And they, and they start to lose their focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and start to figure out how to make people happy and get them to come in and, and enjoy these things. And see, that, that's a disintegrated soul because they're worrying about things and not simply the gospel. And that happens to spiritual people too. You know, it could, it could be that you are really involved in your business and you're working really hard, you make a lot of money, provide for your family, and then all of a sudden your kids start to feel like they're less important than your job. Maybe you put your family in a really beautiful house, and, but when the point of your life becomes your lifestyle, that's a disintegrated soul. It could be maybe you really want to be in a relationship, and you're running after relationship, after relationship, after relationship. Nothing, it doesn't matter what they think about Jesus or where that's centered around, that is a disintegrated soul. You know, it, it could be finding your identity in a cause, or a movement, or a country, or a political party, other than Jesus. That's a disintegrated soul. It could be that believing that relief comes at the end of a needle or at the bottom of a bottle or at the end of that next website. That's a disintegrated soul. Jesus says in Mark 8.36, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? People preach about this and they talk about that being about hell and money. That's not about hell and money. It's a diagnosis. To lose your soul means you're no longer integrated the way that God made you. This is what sin does. It disintegrates us. The ruined soul is where everything won't line up in you. And maybe you'll spend years in therapy trying to figure out what's wrong with me. When your life is disconnected from God, you may get some satisfaction out of acquiring the whole world, but you know there's no meaning in it. When you start to gossip, when you think you're right, and you hurt other people with your rightness, when you feel like no one sees how hard you work, why does anybody care about how hard I'm working here? When we cannot stop and learn to be content with God, what God has given us, we're always looking to buy or get that next thing. When we find our worth and how others see us, whether it's our spouses or our kids or our love interests or our boss or our friends, it simply shows the state of our disintegrated souls. What Jesus says is true. Gaining the whole world never helps us when our inside world collapses. Guys, honestly, we live on a world of lost souls. Now, after thoroughly depressing you, you're probably asking what I want to talk about this on Easter. Because resurrection reorders our soul. Resurrection is about new life given to us, reordering who we were meant to be. It is meant to shuv our nefesh to where it was meant to be. Easter is about redemption. Resurrection reminds us that all things can be new again, even us, that Jesus makes all things new. Our souls need something. Our souls need someone. They need Jesus to restore us. And it is not a coincidence in Christianity that we talk about when we follow Jesus that we surrender ourselves to him. We surrender our will and our mind and our body so our soul can be whole and integrated again. And this is our prayer for all of you. That we would learn and live and grow and love Jesus. You guys ever see this movie called What About Bob? Okay. Some of you have. Okay. It's got a guy named Bill Murray. Okay, Bill Murray's in this movie. It's, it's, it's great. But he's this uh, neurotic, phobic, obsessive, compulsive. And so he's talking to his therapist, and he says this. I have problems breathing, problems swallowing, numb lips, fingernail sensitivity, and pelvic discomfort. What if my heart stops beating? What if I'm looking for a bathroom and I can't find one and my bladder explodes? Could happen, I guess, right? 
talks about his divorce, and he says, there are two types of people in this world, those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. My ex-wife loves him. So his therapist says to him, so what you're saying is that even though you're an almost paralyzed, multiphobic personality who is in a constant state of panic, your wife did not leave you. You left her because she liked Neil Diamond. (laughs) Guys, you need to understand, our souls are like Bob. They are just like Bob. They're all over the place trying to find something to fulfill them. And anything that is less than Jesus will never fulfill your soul. We think our souls are so strong, but our souls are more like the, like the king on a chessboard. It can only move one spot, and he's really easy to kill. That's our soul. Our souls were made to worship Jesus. We inherently know this, but we're always trying to find things to take his place in our souls. And, and when, we, when we find something that's not Jesus, trying to find ourselves satisfied in that, it will never fulfill because anything less than Jesus is not going to fulfill our souls. We need to believe the reality that our souls were made to orbit around Jesus and not another person and not things and not ourselves. This is why our souls need a keeper. And in one sense, you are your soul's keeper, okay? You decide how you're going to live day to day. But we're also reminded in Psalm 121, verse 5, that the Lord is your keeper. Our souls ultimately belong to God, and he is interested in what we're becoming. Our souls need a center, and that center cannot be us or others or things. We were made by God. We need him to truly live life that he calls us to. And our souls need a future. I mean, there is more to our lives than where we've come from. There's where we are going. The whole idea of redemption is that your past does not have to define the rest of your future. If you have lived a life that is far from God, right now, today, everything can be different. The truth is our souls need to be with Jesus. Your soul will only find rest and freedom and blessing and integrity becoming whole by being surrendered and in alignment with Jesus. I mean, when we talk about surrender, surrender isn't the end of the journey like your Frodo when you made it to the mountain, the mountain, you throw your ring in the fire. It's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. And that goes on into eternity. And it's what our souls crave. But it's also what our entire lives were made for. Easter is the culmination of God calling us to an integrated soul. That he is the one who has removed all the barriers that we have put in place to keep us from him and knowing our true calling. If you are a Christian in this room, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus, are you willing to look at the state of your soul? And how it has been disintegrated. Are you honestly willing to ask yourself, what right now is my soul orbiting around? And if it's anything other than Jesus, remember, there is hope and grace and God is calling you home again. If you are not a believer, the question for you today is, are you willing and ready to surrender your life and your soul, all of you, to Jesus to become whole again? Because this is the whole idea behind Easter. That Jesus rose from the grave to bring us back to life so we can have a relationship with God again. This is why we talk about communion. Where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me to take away our sin. What stood between us and God. What has disintegrated our souls. And he rises from the grave to bring us back to life so we can live a whole life again. What we were meant to be, how we were meant to live. God wants to revive the humanity that he made us to live within. And understanding his death and his ultimate resurrection is where that all begins. And our lives become changed because of what he has done. 
So we invite you today to take communion. I don't know where the band is, but when they get down, someone send them up on stage. That'll be great because I don't know where they are. Um, oh, there they are. Keep walking. It's just me, me. On electric guitar. You all just love it. We'll do a solo the whole time. Whoa! Thanks, Sean. You moved that for me. <laughs> Uh, if you need prayer, if you're in a place maybe where you're a believer and you feel like your, your soul is disintegrated, you're orbiting around all these things you shouldn't, uh, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back and they would love to pray with you. Uh, if you are not a believer and today you're like, man, my soul is over the place and I, and I want to know Jesus, they would love to pray with you and talk to you about that. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's a response to what he has done and how he has made us whole. Uh, there is no food in the back. We normally have food in the back, but this is Easter Sunday, so we want to kick you guys out of here as fast as possible. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. No. <laughs> but we would, we would encourage you guys to maybe go to brunch. Don't eat 20 cream-covered waffles and drink 15 mimosas, um, in, unless you're so inclined, I guess. Uh, you know, but, but maybe invite some other people to lunch and, or brunch and kind of talk through some of these things. Ask those, those questions. What right now would you say your soul is orbiting around? You know, what is the thing that your mind is obsessed on? And maybe you're somebody who, you know, every 30 minutes it's something else, you know. But, you know, talk about maybe what it could be like if that would center on the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done and how he has saved and how he has redeemed and how he has made us whole. I mean, you got to understand, our God is good and gracious. And as many times as our soul becomes disintegrated, he constantly comes back and heals us and makes us whole again. Because he is good and he is a redeeming God who has rescued us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to live lives that are integrated wholes. That we would understand that you are the one who has rescued and saved us. That you are the one who takes all of our interests that have spread far and wide and refocus them where they're supposed to be. Father, for those in this room whose souls are disintegrated, where souls are orbiting around anything that is not you, I ask that your spirit would remind them, all of us, who you are and the great gift of your salvation and that we would become integrated wholes. God, we know that there are things in our lives that constantly seem to come up where waters rise and, and hope seems to run away. And we are in those instances, we are so prone to get our eyes off of you and on to these things that are coming at us. Give us the strength to remember when all of those floods rise that you are the God who longs to return us to who you made us to be. A people who sit under your great majesty and your glory and your power. And that we will only find wholeness in and through you. Teach us to be a people who surrender our will and our mind and our bodies and our souls all to you. So that we become whole. Teach us to live as a people under the authority and power of our great King who has saved us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.